वेलकम टू सिंट टॉक The Sintalkers around the table today discuss the matter of cities. We'll think about cities and what they are and what they can do. What are the ideas that make a city? Why are cities the way they are? Are they centralized technological artifacts meant for exchange? Are all cities villages before they become cities? Why and when do slums, ghettos and suburbs emerge? Where does food and water come from? Where does the waste go? Do industrialization, urbanization and territorialization always go together? What do all old living cities have in common? Should everyone move to cities? Should the homeless be given homes? Why do cities die? Can cities be planned and will everyone in the world someday live in cities? We are pleased and privileged to have two sin talkers with us here today. Dr. Anant Marangunty is the director of Hyderabad Urban Lab. He is trained as a geographer and worked as a journalist for many years. He has been studying cities, and Dr. Avdhendra Sharan. He is from CSDS in Delhi. He trained as a historian, and is interested in issues of urban infrastructure, environment, and urban culture. So Anand, why don't we set the ball rolling with you? Um, maybe at a general place to try and understand why are cities deserving of being an object of study at all? What are they? Why are they interesting to you? And what are the one or two key problems that you see as as one goes about conceptualizing it as an as an object of study? Mm, we have to start with um, why I am interested in cities. Sure, that might be more useful. um i actually did not start by being interested in cities as something to be studied mm-hmm. um i i've grew up in small towns i kept coming back to the cities for vacations spent a lot of time in between the two right and what that resulted in is a very peculiar uh, consciousness which moved from small towns through rural agricultural spaces into the city mm-hmm. and it was always very exciting to be in the city um the kinds of places where we lived the kinds of things that we could do in the city were very different mm. so cities were uh places that were exciting because they created a lot of opportunities for me they offered a lot of places and opportunities to learn and that was the thing that was very learn important for learn. you so you're talking about yourself so yes sure and the resources that were available in the city for learning were just um tremendous as compared to small towns and villages mm-hmm. that's what was exciting for me mm-hmm. but my academic interest in cities started along the way uh, when i actually began to study property i was starting property. property i was beginning to study property in forest areas where there are revenue villages mm-hmm. and i was trying to understand how tribals 
claimed property rights both within the revenue enclaves and in the forest mm-hmm. and as i was working through that somewhere along the way i began to think about property in the urban spaces and this happened around a time when cities actually were beginning to undergo tremendous changes across the world um this was the around 2001 2002 when um um a tremendous amount of new social and political movements of varying degrees and scales and sizes were emerging across cities across the world so to me the cities are interesting because there are large numbers of people trying to cohabit in the same place um and that requires a particular kind of sensibility a certain kind of political how orientation how natural is a city for you i mean how natural is a city even somewhat ontologically i mean not not i mean is it an unstable kind of equilibrium by in, in its very nature because you mentioned that trying to stay together lots of people trying to stay together so is there yeah is there an element of one forcing oneself to be with the others I and mean, how natural is it yes and no in the sense that um i mean it's interesting that you actually started the conversation by saying that this is this the matter of cities right yeah um and and think about that word a little bit yeah food sewage waste everything that we are talking exactly. about is matter exactly and this is matter being produced circulated transformed yeah in uh, at a scale where we need to think about efficiencies equity fairness yeah. all kinds of things simply because people are there producing matters consuming them transforming them in such large quantities and i think at some point of time this changes qualitatively the way in which these things work right it's not simply a question of saying that from 1 kilogram we have gone to 100 kilograms yeah that that scale at some point of time actually tips the question qualitatively into something very different mm-hmm. and that very different question is that when people come together in large numbers learn from each other mix all kinds of diversities new possibilities emerge from within that and that's what is exciting about cities and that's what is actually so what do you have in mind work. when you say new possibilities say for example if you think about um agricultural production mm-hmm. people produce food food grains in one large expanded area mm-hmm. but they have to bring it all into the city to be able to trade it yeah with someone else yeah and when they bring it in there are different kinds of grains that come together they get mixed up yeah they get exchanged yeah. they get transported to other places and in the process itself there is a lot of transformation that's happening in that mixing that happens in one place mm-hmm. right and in this sense actually the one of the things that 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 struck me when i began to think about cities is jane jacobs work where she actually says that there is this strange misunderstanding across the world that villages come before cities mm-hmm. it's actually the other way around because the city makes it possible for agriculture to happen the city makes it possible for new production to happen the city makes it possible for new ideas to emerge so you're saying villages acquire some kind of identity as a result of the cities yes right in the sense that that if you think about it uh, um through material and matter mm-hmm. look at agriculture 
agriculture it's kind of produced today, for the cities in a way yes and also it happens through the city right i mean you can't have modern agriculture without a tractor yeah a tractor is not made on the farm the tractor is made in the city yeah right and imagining the possibility of making a tractor cannot happen on the farm it happens in the city or the town yeah where a large number of people come together ideas get uh, acted upon and from there the, the the possibility of a tractor actually emerges yeah so i'm saying that the city is interesting exciting um offers all sorts of possibilities precisely because there's so many people coming together yeah the flip side of this then is that because so many people are together you're also going to have a lot of uh, um um negative externalities to this if you want to use an economist sure. term um you're going to produce all sorts of uh, um stuff that you don't quite know how to deal with sure you I produce mean, pollution you produce waste you sure. produce consume water all kinds of things sure and then the challenge the critical thing that we need to think about is how to manage all of these things such that the place actually has possibilities of being what it what it began as Sure. A place of exchange, a place of openness, a place of learning, a place of creativity. Sure. For it to retain that character and thrive, we need to think about how to make it work. Sure. Where are you on this question, Deepu? If we think of it somewhat historically, and you know, I think Anant made this point about. Um, she he made the Jane Jacobs point about whether villages precede cities or kind of acquires its identity as a result of the cities. I mean, is there a way of going after this question a little bit historically do all living cities were the villages at one point in time or can one at least make some kind of interpolation of that nature well i i think anand's point is right the thing is not that at any point of historical time you can figure out which comes first but there is a symbiotic relationship between the city and the village which has been looked at in many different ways some would see the city as the villain and in much of writing on indian cities for instance no but the question is that do villages grow up to be cities they may or may not some right. cities so can emerge out of a village like settlement which then becomes of a certain size mm-hmm. and some could be you know farmland that's been set up straight away as a city so it's not necessary that there is a progression of a certain size that keeps on becoming bigger and bigger till some day it becomes a city so sure. that too happens Uh, there there are many settlements that grow up like that from a small settlement to a large settlement but some cities are just set up i mean think of the famous steel towns of india sure these are not necessarily villages converted into cities sure. the farmlands which then became the urban the cities are organized around production yeah around. cities are organized around production so so I, i i i would i mean there are many different ways in which this relationship between uh, i wouldn't say village between the agrarian context mm. and cities has been seen mm. and part of it just to go back to anand's point is if you look at some like william cronin's work on chicago for instance mm. which completely transforms how grain is produced in order that it can fit into the uh, into the trading market of chicago right so so a lot of transformations happens uh, but to go back to an earlier question that he posed to anand there is something very interesting about how for a very long time many of us have struggled to call the city our home 
Right. So when I was growing up in a small town like many of us did, right. the village that you went to during your summer holidays was home. Right. The city was where your parents worked. Right. And uh, it's an interesting question that I've tried to think through. When do you begin to think of the city as your home? And that's when you begin to appreciate the qualities that Anand was talking about, which is about diversity, which is about uh, ability to be creative, do a lot of uh, find peoples with very different sensibilities that you have to live with. Uh, and, uh, and is that merely a generational question? Does it simply have I to think do it with... happens in all our lives. It's not as if, you know, in my own life, I can see there's a point at which I, I saw the city as my natural home. And the village is something that I go to. It's my village. It's my parents' village. But I see the city as my home. And that transformation happens. It, it has to do with a mental transformation. And in that sense, to go back to your question about whether cities are natural or not, uh, it's, it's a difficult one to answer because you have to keep working on this. This diversity, this presence of uh, people of different sensibilities, who can work together is, is a challenge because, as you know, in many parts of the world, India, not a, an exception, uh, there are many but people there, who don't want this. Again, if you think of it at the level of, level of drivers, uh, mm-hmm. Deepu, is there, are there usually one or two prime movers that lead to, eventually a vast number of people tend to move towards or gravitate towards what ends up being called a city? Now, can it happen for many, many, many different reasons for the same city or it's primarily one or two reasons that... Well, different cities have different reasons why sure. people come to them. Sure. So one obvious one is, is around work. So many people would come to cities for work. Uh, there comes a time when cities, because they're able to garner far more resources, you get other kinds of migration. For instance, you could migrate to a city for health because health services could be better. Right. You could migrate to a city for creative expression, uh, which is not necessarily work in, 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 in the sense of sure. a job to do. Or you could but migrate so cities to cities because you felt uh, that the certain system that you are used to was fairly exploitative. So if you think of African-Americans migrating to large U.S. cities, or you should think of large Dalit migrations to Indian cities. Uh, these are these are migrations that are search for freedom. Right. It's a so move so away the, from something as opposed to move towards something. Yeah. So it's a mix of both. It's, there's sure. a push and there's a pull. Uh, there's a lot of widow migration that happens. Right. Uh, so so you could come for many reasons. And is that is that so? What is what are and I understand that these are two general posers, mm-hmm. and you know it's very difficult to give. Uh, a tic-tac-toe response to them but is that because of the anonymity that a city offers is that what is it about a city that that keeps getting a very 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 wide range of people through them it is uh, I would assume that in many instances which is the flip side of the question of what might make a city collapse right because it it, it feels like okay sure there are many reasons why well people Work is definitely, to my mind, the single largest, if you look at just in sheer demography, Mm. why would people come to cities? Work would be a huge thing. And once that is there, once some sense of livelihood is there, I would think, in my imagination, a certain sense of freedom would be a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Whether it is 
Anonymous, I'm not very certain. It's been said, it's been theorized based on the Western experience that cities offer this anonymity. But if you think about it, it's a more complex question because if you look at somebody like Raj and the worker who's done beautiful work on Bombay, mm-hmm. the way you have to rework your networks, drawing upon your rural contacts right. in order that you can survive in a big city right. means that you're not necessarily anonymous in the sense of an individual anonymous, right. but you could be free in ways that was not possible right. if you're not living in the city. So, so it's a complex question of whether the city makes you anonymous and if it does, in what ways? Does it right. make anonymous? Right, right. And again, there are all kinds of cities, right? They could be like a merchant city, a political city, which could oh, yeah. be the head of... Head so you of could be a service sector-oriented city, you could be a production-oriented city, you could be an administrative capital, you could be uh, the center for creative industries, uh, you could be an educational hub. So all kinds of uh, you know places could come up uh, for a particular... You could be a tourist city. Mm. Uh, which mainly generates its income through tourism. So, And is it possible to set cities up, grounds up? Well, it's been done a number because of times. Because a lot of these seem to, have, I mean, they feel very organic. It feels like, you know, one thing leads to another. There are lots of individual actions, some large-scale drivers at work. But where is planning in all of this, Anand? I mean, can one just set something up? No, I think the, 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 I want to get at this in two different yeah. ways. Right? One is actually to slightly go back to what, something that you've been asking earlier. I think it's useful to use the word city along with the word urban. Right. Right? Because the city as a unit, um, it has a certain kind of feel to it. It has a certain internal structure. It's an object. Mm-hmm. But the urban is a texture, it's a culture, it's a way of doing things, it's a set of relationships and so on. And I think that what partly... Um, so what is urban? What partly... So so, so so partly what Deepu was earlier suggesting is that you could find the village in the urban. Right. Or what one associates with the village in the city. What one associates with the city, you might find it in the village. Right. And so it might actually be useful to try and define what we mean by the urban right. at any given point of time. Why do we want to call that the urban? Mm-hmm. Right? Because... That's a good point. Be- because uh, what Deepu was suggesting a while ago that uh, a large number of Dalits moved into the city mm-hmm. at certain points of time. They moved into the city because the promise of modernity in the city, mm-hmm. the promise of losing your caste trappings, Mm-hmm. The promise of getting out of an agrarian economy in which your labor is going to be taken from you right. um, at wages much lower than what you think you deserve. Right. Therefore, you want to move into the city. So all of these things are going to go away in the city was the promise. But at some point of time in the next generation, they may actually discover that they're being marked and targeted. Mm for being who they are, for having those connections in the village, right? So the anonymity has completely disappeared. And is that because is that because a significant portion of the village ends up moving to the city? So the same structure. I think the answers the are almost always very concrete circumstances in history and geography, right? right so there is course. no general answer. I could say, for example, that in certain contexts, I can very easily identify places where the Dalits moved in. Mm-hmm. into the city 
and then after some time following them the the intermediate castes moved into the city <laughs> right and then they moved in right they brought in animosities from the right. village right and they want to retain and maintain some of the the older relationship structures right and that's when the struggle starts right and i can literally see it and map it out on on the map and say here this is what has happened right and i can say that here this has not happened it's happened in a very different way right that has to do with the history of how different places transform change connect with each other and so on I mean, look back in history. Maybe the reason why some kind of an urban formation came together around Gaya would be because of the availability of iron ore yes. there, and therefore there were people who were able to make uh, uh, weapons out of it. And so you actually have a city that emerges around that. So it's eventually grounded. It's yeah. grounded to it some would. kind of natural resources. It would. It, it because, used you know, to be. Even when you say jobs, sure, I think, which is why we're trying to do it on a slightly yeah. longer so time span. So what happens is, till such point as your energy source has to be right next to you, mm -hmm. it is far more grounded in a particular geography. Right. Once, beginning 16th, 17th century, you mean and created industrial. enough surplus or whatever. No, the source of energy. That right. If the you can, if you can move your energy source around. Hmm. then you're not tied to that geography mm. so then you become independent of that geography to a certain extent and therefore if older cities were reliant let's say on being based right next to a river body for instance right or there had to be number of tanks for water if you can move water around in pipes which is what one of the promises of the modern city was right then it becomes independent of that <laughs> so so you get this network of pipes that moves water over hundreds and thousands of kilometers so even if the original city came up on the bank of some river it can now kind of sustain itself now yeah it doesn't with, uh, with it doesn't need water. that river yeah, yeah. It, it can sustain itself actually after having completely ruined the river yeah, yeah. <laughs> after having totally destroyed it. yeah in the process of destroying the river it sustains itself yeah but but think about this also i think if if we the, the, the question of energy hmm. can also be now thought of in terms of information yeah Right. right right so once it becomes possible for you to manage the operations on the shop floor from 5000 miles away yeah you don't need to have the the managers and the corporate uh, um, top bosses yeah. living right next to the production facility yeah you can distribute your manufacturing facilities across the world you can coordinate things yeah. and you don't even have to move money anymore in currency notes or in you know gold biscuits you can move it through information online so in a way it is it is this somewhat slow but sure transition from more material things to more abstract things right there is a transition of that kind especially with uh, with more and more data you know that kind of stuff but i just wanted to address one thing that you brought up earlier because i don't want to miss this sure. which is so whatever we call the urban let's say we've talked about diversity freedom whatever we call the urban mm -hmm. uh, in where we sit today it is very obvious that that urban has to be maintained uh, it's a task because the forces that would rather rather close that diversity or rather make it more homogenous are on the ascendant so everything that one has celebrated about the modern city is nothing given in it 
it has to be humans and the society that has to maintain it in that spirit uh, because it is always possible that what we see as this space where migrants can come and flourish and do their things turn into cities where migrants are under attack and this happens globally uh, it does certainly happens in india uh, so that's something i did want to but say but i think but the, the the thing they pose that if if a city has managed to acquire some scale uh, wouldn't it be a natural corollary that it's managed to acquire some kind of resilience now obviously they could be i hope uh, they it has managed uh, uh, but you know talking of india you can literally count on your fingertips the number of large cities that continue to be migrant friendly Hmm. Uh, many cities that were have actually turned their backs. And what happens if you think of it uh, using more historical lens? As you think of this over four hundred years, five hundred years, I mean, is is this the way it's gone time and again? Now, obviously, we one understands that the scale of urbanization has been quite dramatic compared to what one might see historically. Well, in terms of time scale, the the analogy is to look at. the difference between empires and nations hmm. so empires with all their problems had a way of living with the diverse set of people and and these are i'm also talking medieval empires right. not necessarily modern british empire but think of the ottomans think of the moguls there's a way in which empires had to live with diversity yeah they just let the provinces be or whatever they yeah are. right they had no other way it was not as centralized it was not as centralized right so this kind of a centralization that happens beginning with the nation state and if cities begin to mirror this that x does not belong here or people from y province don't belong here so you you begin the notion of citizenship in a way oh yes in a way yes you you begin to to land in some trouble and i think there's also the other process that's going on is the word that you used which is that there's something non material Mm. or immaterial mm. so there is a lot of non material labor that's going on in cities now <laughs> right image building mm-hmm. what kind of material work is that how much labor goes into that mm-hmm. mm. um when you begin to think about the um surplus that is being generated in any enterprise to be largely coming from that kind of immaterial quote unquote labor of course it does still involve some material right you still have to take a print out you still have to use a sure. um a flash drive you still have to you know you have to have your fiber optics you have to have all of that but there is a degree of immaterial stuff that's going on right and if that is where the surplus is being generated if that's where the accumulation is happening and that needs to be sustained or if people begin to believe that that needs to be sustained for this economy to work that is one of the sources of this homogeneity that is coming up right mm-hmm. because you need to then segregate different kinds of workers different kinds of people and you need to keep and, them up and and you're referring to self image of a city or the projected image of a city it's or d- d- as a matter of fact in the last 15 or 20 years one of the things that has changed in across the world is that uh, um cities are now very seriously concerned about how other people are thinking about them right <laughs> right so hyderabad wants to uh, be known as the place for biryani <laughs> right mm. or halim mm. so different cities are trying to brand themselves 
they're trying to construct a profile for themselves they're hiring professionals to help them do that and it's not just an emergent profile it's 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 something that they want to have if they want to have some control on right. and they have to do that constantly that that work and anything that that disagrees with that will have to be um will have to be excised from it right right so, so you mean slums or yeah think think things or at least sort. you have to make them invisible right you don't want them to be seen so why do slums come up anand it may be a little silly because it kind of presupposes that the high rises existed before them and so on and so <laughs> forth but uh, no i think that is where actually the, my my interest in property they have a way of popping up yeah that is where actually my interest in cities uh, property in cities actually came from mm-hmm. um essentially what what has happened is that uh, um for whatever reasons dalits women men children come into the cities they need to stay somewhere they need to reproduce themselves bodily and uh for them to do that in a city where um land is either completely owned by somebody mm-hmm. or it is public land mm-hmm. if it is completely owned by someone in a 100% ownership manner mm-hmm. then it's a public land where they can stay where else can they stay and there are points of time in any countries any cities history where planners will have to struggle with this issue and in india as across most of the other cities in the world until 1970s the faith in the nation state was so much that they believed that each five year plan each annual budget they will say that we are going to create so much more housing in this country to accommodate all these people but we were just not able to do it the shift happened in 70s which is when the issue of slums actually became an issue for us when the government said that look we are not going to be really able to create housing for all of them we will let them be where they are we will not throw them out what does let them be mean supposing there is a group of people who have come from somewhere and they have started living on the edge of the river because nobody wants to live at the edge, edge of the river the land belongs to government it doesn't belong to anyone sure the government can can technically throw them out mm-hmm. from there but they don't from 1970s onwards they essentially said that we will not throw them out mm-hmm. because you need them in the city you are anyway there's your citizens you're not able to provide for them um and this was theorized in a very particular manner the the this, the the theory at that point was that poor people are capable of looking after themselves they just need a little bit of support so don't give them modern housing blocks give them a little bit of money to you know build, put a foundation make some kind of a permanent roof on their heads let them do it we'll support them we'll give them water we'll give them roads we will give them electricity we'll provide the infrastructure this was the policy that worked across the world not just in india that goes on from 1970 onwards until mid 90s and then we do a flip we go back to the 1970s and say that we have a huge housing gap and the market will provide it now and it's the same situation as in the 60s when the state said that the government said that they will provide it they were not able to the market says that they will provide it but they are not able to that's why you have the persistence of slums everywhere so it kind of lies on the cusp between the state and the market and if you look at it closely in this is and, one and and things. obviously the corollary question is that why, in a sense whatever this 2030 year period might have been 
it has not led to enough prosperity for them to kind of as a matter of fact it did Mm-hmm. That is the reason why it is such an interesting problem. Then it's just a regularization problem, right? Yeah, have, that's yeah. all. Right. In fact, many of the slums which emerged in the seventies and eighties, <laughs> the next generation is doing quite well. Yeah. Right. It's just that because of the nature of the economy, the value of land changing, and so on. Sure. We want that land now. Yeah, exactly. So that, that right. Yeah. That's where the problem is. <laughs> and also, so, the moment the slum upgrades, uh, if very funnily we say it's no longer a slum. Right. So the very fact that they've put in whatever little surplus that they had in upgrading the slum, we begin to say it's no longer a slum. Why should they get the facilities that they yeah. were getting? So it's it's a way you start uh, penalizing them for looking after themselves. Yeah. How large can cities get? Is it is it is it likely that because it it looks like at least in the one or two instances that you've spoken about uh, Anand. slums have a way of upgrading themselves or or human enterprise whatever poor people you know one can think of it in many different ways but are there instances where cities get taken over by slums does a city can a city end up becoming slummy if you know what i mean that's an apocalyptic view of cities it just doesn't can cannot happen like that it has But it not happened no basically mm. what happens is that you take a part of the city and say that this is a huge slum area and we don't want it Mm-hmm. that's when it becomes an issue mm-hmm. or you say that we don't want them to come anywhere near the city mm-hmm. which is what deepu was initially saying that people come into the city they're not allowed to the city where will they go they go to the periphery right they lie just outside the city's limits so they don't get counted as city's population right so then you have a large slum city that emerges outside of it right and then we can go on having apocalyptic visions of this whole thing collapsing at some point of time but if we think about this closely there is no single city ever mm-hmm. you take a large uh, urban agglomeration it's a single spread of contiguous urban habitations yeah, yeah. habitations sure but they're not necessarily they do not necessarily have to be organized as one single unit with a central command of course not it could be multiple cities it's an organism of sorts and then those multiple units within that it's a question of how do you configure the relationships between them right so that there is equity so that there is no freneticness so that there's no desperation and that's what the challenge really is so i don't really think that the the the, the worry about or 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 the attempt to model at what size is the city going to collapse mm. um is the right tree to bark up mm. because that's that size is not homogenous there are all kinds of internal um relationships which we must pay attention to And, and there must be some natural constraints just by the very fact of where they're located and what they do, and, and so they on. are there already, right? I mean, the, the, that's what the 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 uh, people saying a while ago about cities. They're not anonymous places. There are all sorts of social networks. There are right. possibilities that are offered by the terrain, by the geography of the place. People get organized around that. It's just that they don't have this quality of the state. Yeah, they don't have that. But then they are very very well organized. Yeah, yeah. Would it be fair to say they put in just changing tracks just a little bit that do almost all cities come up on the banks of rivers? Is there some kind of a um link, a very fundamental link between the two? I know we just discussed that, you know, with things well, like pipe water. Not necessarily, rivers, but you have to have some some uh, 
source of water. Some source of water, yeah. some source so of it food. It could be a tank, it could be a river. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a river. Uh, so, you know, but, but prior to large-scale engineering being possible, mm-hmm. you had to have a source of water somewhere. So where yeah, would you be on this question? And it looks like Ananta is going in the direction of saying that, you know, there's no real natural limits to how large cities can get. Um, would you be roughly in that territory? And it's obviously a somewhat vague poser. Uh, it's, it, well, the question can be asked in many ways. Hmm. One is if, and I'm sure Anand doesn't mean this, if there's a hubris that no matter how big we grow, we will find the resource to satisfy our needs from right. wherever in the world. We could fly food out, we could pipe water in, you know. Then obviously we are in some dangerous territory. Mm-hmm. If the question is posed as a matter of limiting the city size, which usually means limiting or throwing out the most vulnerable, then again we are in some danger. But if it means that we will find creative resources to have local ways of doing things, for instance, conserving water better, local resources, then I don't see any reason why the size should be a bother. Because, see, one of the things about urban planning, and this is my suspicion, a lot of it is driven by a certain anti-urban sentiment. There's a certain fear of size which drives it. In political terms, that fear expresses itself most often as some kind of violence against the most vulnerable. Hmm. So my sense is the size question must be asked with some care. Hmm. Uh, It should definitely not be something where we say we can grow 16 million, 25 million, 30 million and resources are not a constraint. Resources are a constraint. But how do we look at that constraint is an issue. Uh, Similarly, for instance, housing. You cannot uh, endlessly build. But can you live at peace with different kinds of housing structures? Yes, you can. Uh, Without it becoming absolutely inhuman condition. Uh, so, so there's a way in which we have to find, uh, as with social diversity, so with diversity of settlement types, diversity of, you know, all kinds of things would have to be thought of in order to be able to sustain whatever size we want to sustain. But typically, I would say that city size question has been thought of either mostly around issues of, of resource, uh, at what size does it become too costly to provide the resource? Right, right. And so in, a, in a sense that you're suggesting that a city has to be somewhat locally rooted in some way, either, either in the way it manages its own waste or in the way it conserves its own water. Because well, in, uh, Look at it this way. When the question of size is posed, mm-hmm. I would not say it's... It's posed in particular context. So the city that I know, for instance, when the size of Delhi was posed in the first master plan, what is an optimum size? Uh, you know, there's a lot of debate. They settled on a certain figure. And it turns out the city actually grew beyond that figure. Right. Okay. But if you look at the debate as to what is driving that concern, 
it has to do with all kinds of things from aesthetics right to your personal likes and dislikes about what you prefer to the extent to which you want rural migrants coming in right you know so those kind of things uh so the size question to my mind has always been a context specific question yeah. it's it's not just a generalizable principle and of course technology makes a lot of things possible so to go back to the uh, difference between the city and the urban uh, your transport networks make possible a certain urban imagination that goes beyond municipal boundaries and and would it be fair to say that uh, you know with whatever we have done with you know with the cost of energy with whatever planning strategies that that may have evolved over a period of time we now have a certain kind of strategy for longevity that it's cities don't collapse onto themselves and by and large if one kind of projects this out 30 40 50 100 200 years um you know th- th- there is a way in which cities will sustain themselves if you know what i mean you know so yes well, one which, of the advantages which, which is not to suggest that you need to keep growing but which is to suggest that you know there's a way in which uh you figure out a way of hanging around you know in a way that you figure out a way of having very 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 high longevity yeah and, and the advantage there is that urban forms and urban knowledge has always traveled globally uh, mm. and there are ways in which you can you can look at the world of cities and pick up good practices you could also look at the world of cities and do something silly which is to say bombay be- must become the next shanghai or shanghai might become the next something where you're always looking at some other world city uh, not because of what uh, it may have achieved what is what is world city a uh, world class city so sure. typically <laughs> you'll see uh, you know london becomes the the city to aspire to or uh, new york not you know it depends the flavor of the month these days are chinese cities you know everybody wants to become you know like shanghai bright shiny uh, so that's one way of the global comparison the other way of global comparison is to look at interesting practices of sustainable living experiments around uh, you know for instance local food which are happening globally uh and learn from them what is possible to be done uh so they the and cities have always uh, you know found ways of learning from each other and i i'm hopeful that the good practices would also be learned yeah you know i think we've touched upon this heterogeneity homogeneity question a few times right um and it, it it's it's interesting how most cities and however world class they might be there are ghettos there are there is some kind of stratification there are areas why does that happen why are cities internally differentiated yes i think actually implicit in the question that that you are asking is also that why that, that are cities differentiated be. but why are there are also hierarchies within that yes right yes and i think um, and whether it goes hand in hand with um, you know obviously it seems like heterogeneity is being argued for as some kind of a virtue mm-hmm. um but heterogeneity comes with its hierarchies heterogeneity comes with its hierarchies but the the the, the thing that we must actually keep in mind um yeah when thinking about heterogeneity is that heterogeneity makes sense because you have homogeneity right they never exist in isolation from each other mm-hmm. right the broad philosophical level mm-hmm. heterogeneity is 
something that exists only because you have homogeneity yeah as a principle yeah now the question is how do these things get organized yeah how homogeneous is the homogeneous yeah how heterogeneous is the heterogeneous which parts of the heterogeneous are being turned into homogeneous things and i think we can answer this from many different directions one way you can think about it is that homogeneity which is something that is often um called in very positive terms as niche economies or right in very negative terms as the ghetto right might be happening because one is trying to reduce transaction costs mm-hmm. right you hang together mm-hmm. and therefore you are capable of exchanging information that is particularly useful to a particular kind of identity yeah right so uh, one of the things that that we've been examining is what what about slums with a large concentration of muslim population yeah what does that tell us yeah and one thing that we discovered actually in 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 our research is that for the muslim families living in those slums mm-hmm. the transaction costs of dealing with government agencies for services are much much higher than those there for the 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 hindu families in the slum next door they're higher much higher mm-hmm. you know they don't to get the information to be able to find the right contact to be able to move the file in the office it's just too much work right and when they are all living together they cut down on those costs because they're sharing them yeah so there is a way in which you can share resources by staying together sometimes these things happen because uh, somebody has figured out something in the city or in the larger world and is the sense of community and again for lack of a better word in those ghettos all is that is that urban or is that still a village within the city again that's precisely you know why I, mean. i was saying earlier that 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 we that we need to get away from this thing that there is one urban and there's one rural right of course it's always which is the reason why i often try like to think about the urban as more as a frontier right mm. it's a frontier across which all kinds of exchanges are taking place and i call it the frontier simply because the urban you mean it as an interface of sorts as an interface right but i i i would use the word as a frontier at this point because there's a particular type of aggressive reorganization that is happening in the name of the urban right now mm. it's happening across the world mm. and i think it's important to remember that this is not simply some sort of a orderless colorless urbanization that is happening <laughs> it's a particular type of urbanization mm-hmm. right it's an urbanization for example that comes um, hand in hand with globalization right at at the simplest level right? right what does that mean it means that in a given city there is a particular location a particular community a particular set of actors who are much more closely connected to riverside california there than they are connected to the person living across the street hmm hmm so much more globally in- integrated their imagination is yes and so so and so, so, so yeah. one of my favorite stories for for my undergrad students at one time used to be this the dobi hmm the washerman would come right into the bedroom and collect the clothes and go yeah right um now the dobi is on the road he doesn't come inside the house anymore yeah you go and give the clothes to that dobi the dobi earlier the washerman 
and his wife would know everything that's happening inside the house much more intimately than the members of the family now it doesn't happen it doesn't mean that there were no hierarchies earlier sure there were hierarchies but there were also relationships of a particular kind sure now those relationships have snapped so now what's happening is that you are connected to your counterpart somewhere in some particular time zone in north america and your life is organized around those relationships when will you wake up when will you do things is not organized on the basis of when will the dobi come to your house but on the basis of when does your client wake up yeah, in the us you're synchronized to the world mm-hmm. as opposed right? to the immediate and and it's not it's not simply synchronizing to something which is not hierarchical right that's where the dollars are coming from that's where the money is coming from and i remember in one particular meeting um you were also there uh, deepu uh, we asked uh, an architect about uh, the changing architectural patterns and he said you know I-, i tell my clients that you don't need a lawn it's so water intensive but they tell me that if i have a lawn in front of my office then i can yeah, charge my american clients 3 dollars more per hour <laughs> because my client begins to feel more at home right this is the reason why i'm calling it an aggressive a frontier at which there's some kind of battle that's going on and i think we must acknowledge that there is a battle going on because when the dobi is no longer able to enter your house in the way in which he or she used to earlier all the resources that were available from this family to that family are now cut off so you have a whole lot more of abandonment than there used to be earlier for certain groups of people they will of course figure out how else to survive when this happens so i am saying that the rural and the urban while they are kind of intermeshed constantly there are also frontiers at which there's acquiescence compromise negotiation exchange smuggling all kinds of things are happening sometimes they work sometimes they break down and when they break down what you actually see is in an urban flood more than the damage done by the flood it's the social damage that is done or the social cohesion that happens hmm right and we need to be very attentive to what these things are so what's the future well my my sense is uh, yeah as another saying that there can be na- any number of reasons why either people cluster together in a ghettos kind of setting ranging from transaction cost to feelings of security or why slums could grow and wane depending on relationship between wages and rentals and property can people grow out of slums that that's a critical question uh, because at, it le- is at not least initially it's probably posed as some kind of an intermediate solution right it's kind of imagine that prosperity will take care of things and or at, or, or is that too naive so that what we know for certain now is there is no automatic route to it this right. perception that See, one of the things that Nehru was told by the Ford Foundation consultant is in India, the idea of being slum-free came as a, as a social idea much, much before the resources for this were ready. Now, we don't have to go into all the things why he said what he said. Resources for being slum-free. Resources for being slum-free. So one of the things that you would recollect about the 70s that Anant was talking is that when the idea is first proposed, 
that you have to live with the slums that you have and provide for them, uh, the Indian elite just doesn't buy it because right. they see it as a national affront. Right. That cities, the West will be slum free and we will be third world forever. Right. So the, there is it's that. It's an assault on the self-image. So there's this modernization promise that eventually everything was going to go away. Everything bad was going to go away. Uh, you know, yeah. religion was to go away, caste was to go away, slums were to go away, etc., etc. <laughs> but we know that's not what has happened. Hmm. And so any future that I can imagine can only be a future in which these transformations are not based on promises of either the market or the state. But the, these are driven bottom up. So that the possibility for planning processes, especially, to take into account the many things that people do together. But is there such a thing as a bottom up? There is like, what does that mean? What does that, uh, I, I think, sure, one gets it very abstractly, but what, what does that okay, even let me mean? Tell you from a context that I know. Yeah, sure. Which is the context of a classroom. Mm hmm. You cannot promise the freedom of a university through a minister for education or a vice chancellor. It is what you do in the classroom with your students which creates the culture of the university. Because that's the point of the contact. Yes, point of the contact. So yes. that's what I mean by bottom-up. This is where the point of contact is, where the activity is happening. That has to be given far greater Weightage. Given weightage by whom? By the society, including by governments. Now, what has happened in our ways of thinking is that, unfortunately, this is the level that gets the least importance. But cities, cities are capitalist projects. Yes. So is our universities also capitalist projects. <laughs> you know, I mean, there could be private universities and, and state universities. See, the problem is not who's financing it. No, I, I think the question is, and, you know, just staying on the notion of cities, uh, because it may be... Uh, somewhat laborious mapping to the notion of a classroom and what patterns no, may me, or may not exist. Let me put it more generally. All I'm saying is that people come together to do a lot of activities in conjunction with each other. Right. Okay. It's eventually some kind of coming together. Yeah. Yes. Those activities and the learnings from them have to go into any process of planning that we want to do. Our planning processes talk of this, have always talked of this. There's something called, you know, you have to consult. But the consultation has been too one way. It's the expert who goes out and tells everyone else what has to be done. Others have to be nodding either in assent or dissent. Right. You know, but you don't... It's not genuinely consultative. No, it's not. I, I've, I've called it, it's consultative without being dialogic. Right. It's, it's a one-way street. And, and that's what we have to break. That's, that's what Hyderabad Urban Lab breaks. That's what, you know, any institutions of those kind in their practice want to break. The question is, how seriously do we take them? Yeah. Let me also pick up on what you just said, that, that cities are capitalist projects, right? Yeah. There's nothing given about it. Yeah, sure. Right. And cities are <laughs> actually places where the working class lives. Right? Cities are also places where the working class lives. And therefore, they're, they're coming into that city with But the dreams. nature of work keeps changing. It of course uh, changes. Sure. That, 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 I, I, that, that, I is, that is after, how capital... After, after several iterations, the center of a city, and you know, surely there must be exceptions and we should talk about them, are not factories and paddy fields anymore. I mean, they are... But then that is your... precisely why, why Tahrir Square gets occupied. Right. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So what I'm saying essentially is that that it could be a so capitalist project, 
but it is also a socialist project it's also a place in which people are dreaming mm. and i think that 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 people are dreaming that people are making the city through their everyday actions that is what we need to pay attention to because capitalist projects depend on calculations on behalf of circuits of capital yes. right Circulation which have, of which, have, which, have which, which have a which have a particular kind of time horizon Mm-hmm. Whereas I get angry, I get out onto the street, mm-hmm. right? But but for 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 a capitalist project to make a certain amount of money, it has to make a whole lot of calculations and look at look at the investments and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that is where the surplus of human energy, life that simply cannot be calculated upon. that is where your hope actually lies and that's what what deepu is saying right when when you say that it's the bottom up of course the the consultant would come talk write a report and say that they have all agreed to this or that they have not agreed to it or whatever but people who have been consulted they step out onto the street and they do something else on their own would you say anand that you know and i think you made this very useful at least we put those two notions side by side of the city and the urban uh that city is a certain kind of urban form like w- what what is the future what could this be um w- would would everybody just live in cities 200 days out 300 days out um could there be other f- kinds of expression of of uh, of coming together of coming together yes yeah. i think i think a lot will depend actually on because what's happening just now is that there is some kind of an intense overlap of all kinds of things right there is the markets are centered around cities sure they're very abstract and all that as well but they're centered around that consequently jobs are centered around that it looks like cultural expression production a lot of that is centered around that so it's becoming the center of almost everything so no i think partly what is going on here is that when 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 you when you say cities you're also thinking about a particular scale hmm and i don't think we need to do that Mm. If you just look at the history of American cities, mm-hmm. you could have a city of one thousand people. I wouldn't even call that a village in India. A city of one thousand people. Yeah. yeah, in India, I wouldn't even call that a city. And so, what are the essentials of that kind so of city? So, what happens there is that in in the U.S., it is possible for a city to incorporate itself. Mm-hmm. In India, it is not possible for a city to incorporate itself. And it would have piped water. It would have electricity. It could have all of that. Mm-hmm. Or it may not have. You it see, can just tap is, into. No, the thing is this: in let's say in 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 an Indian village, there are many Indian villages where you do have piped water. Yeah. Right. I don't think that we should be identifying these things by. I mean, it is what, uh, how we you know what we can see. Yeah, but I'm. You can't really go by what you see or do not see. However bland, what makes a city a city is the no, question. No, right? there are many different things that make a city a city. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes a city is the is the nature of governance. Mm-hmm. Right. and the nature of production that happens there in india uh, we have gone with a particular technical definition which says so many people in so many square kilometers <laughs> right sure that's so that's a definition of convenience that no that's a definition that's of census. census yeah of course right so they sure. count the number of people and they count how many people there are and how many people are outside of agriculture yeah right and the critical thing here is that you're saying that 75% of the people should be outside agriculture what does that agriculture mean mm-hmm. the issue here basically is that when you have a large number of people in agriculture 
the property related to agriculture is organized in a particular way mm-hmm. when you look at urban property that property has to be organized on the principles of efficiency of service delivery in agriculture property boundaries are organized on the basis of productivity and that's a big shift that happens yeah. it's a big material it's shift fairly it's fundamental big, efficiency of productivity it's 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 a very big fundamental difference which then has all sorts of consequences for us so the question that we need to ask really is is the nature of agrarian production going to change yeah right do we have large farms do we have small farms do we have rooftop farms that is what is going to tell us about what's going to happen it's in the city it's actually a question of about agriculture yeah it's a question about food essentially that's what this uh, finally comes down to right singapore that, is an uh, singapore is a city it's a city country and it gets all of its fruit from thailand yeah and water from malaysia water from malaysia but air from exactly <laughs> <laughs> air is there but you know i just wanted to what does history just put us? it more simply uh, see there are two parts as i can imagine what we are calling the city or the urban one is the physical infrastructure part so you're talking is there centralized water supply sure is there uh, sewage disposal etc so that's the physical infrastructure uh, one of the markers of the modern city is the presence of this centralized infrastructure yeah it delivers does not deliver we know that some parts most parts of the world it does not deliver but at least in theory it is there it wants to it wants to let's put it that way and then there is the city of the imagination uh, which is what i keep coming back to and therefore if you think about who is asking the question of the city i think both kinds are asking questions of the city but when we talk about it we somehow privilege the planners and the engineers but we don't equally privilege let's say women's groups are asking for all kinds of freedoms yeah uh, you know many mobilizations uh, are happening around issues of caste right uh, i'm sure in other parts of the world around ethnicity race those are also uh, many things are happening around uh, artistic freedom yeah those are also imaginations of the urban but because they're also general human imaginations we somehow seem to ask the urban question far more with respect to plans and engineering so so what i'm suggesting is what what's been called the soft city mm-hmm. is equally important what is a soft city well soft city is the city of the imagination it's as real as as what we call the concrete city and it's it's so what they were, they it's what children. motivates us it's what uh, uh, it what drives your perception Uh, so what is a city in principle the city is both the city is, is both an imagination of possibilities uh, and it is a certain physical habitat uh, which is uh, as anant was saying in the indian context defined by the census in particular ways sure which is 5000 people etc and uh, so and if you see some of the most interesting uh, growth that is happening is what the census calls the census towns <laughs> which are not nearly part of the municipal boundaries but are rural areas but which have grown up to be of a certain kind and so the real fundamental growth has been in census towns uh, so lot is happening in fact if you want one of the other things that's happening about the cities is 
Uh, it is both, of course, city is a powerful word, must remain. I, I'm not for throwing it out. But the more we appreciate the urban, the more we realize these boundaries. So what Anand is saying about agriculture and the urban, if you think about, uh, you know, building dams in the hills and what happens to water supplies downstream. Several of, miles away. Yeah. Several miles away of fisheries. Or if you think of suburban growth, which is happening on a massive scale, which is where the real growth is happening, if yeah. you really ask me. Uh, then you're then you're both looking as something that we have defined as a particular habitat called the city. So, so then the, these are just different centers of the same city so, in a way. Yeah, so so it, to imagine the urban today is to naturally imagine a scale which is... Which necessitates more, more than one center? Yeah, which necessitates uh, crossing the boundaries of the city. It mm. means including, uh, if, you're, if you're interested seriously in questions of environment, it means including everything from the hills to the sea. Mm. Uh, you know, and number of then city centers on the way. So what is the city of 2280 going to look like? My sense is that city will be driven. Uh, I think technology will make a lot of difference to the way we travel, to the way we consume. Uh, I think the, the struggle over housing will continue. And my sense is that the most fundamental questions will be asked about what is human freedom and what does it take for one generation to the next to go from one state to another. Right. Which means that quest will continue. Uh, because cities will, will be differentiated, cities will be hierarchical. I don't see cities becoming uh, these uh, completely non-hierarchical. It is... The ability for one generation to trade places over time, uh, that will define it. And yeah, and so long as those degrees of freedom are kind of incorporated or a part of those spaces, something is possible. So we'll, we'll end with you, Anand. So what's the future of city, cities, the urban? What's going to happen? Where are we going to be? So one of the um, difficulties I have uh, in answering such universal, general, large questions is that <laughs> my mind immediately goes back to this, the, the, the specifics of it. Mm. So which city, where is it, at, in, at what point of time in history are we talking about? So for you, a city without a context yes. means little. A city without a context is completely meaningless to talk about. Sure. We, will, we can fill in all kinds of meanings into that, but... Sure, um, sure, sure. Because I think that, that one of the, the big shifts that happened for me in my own work in, in uh, 2002, 2003, something like that, was that we suddenly realized that this whole idea that manufacturing has disappeared from cities um, in the U.S. You think it's a myth? No, it's a U.S. thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a U.S. thing. You it go talks about U.S. cities, not about cities. Yeah, you go to China and you're you're looking at one <laughs> one factory which 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 has two lakh workers, right? Right, and the it's factory right, is the just, city. So we have to talk about which city and where, right? Right. So there's which, this which risk is not, of overgeneralizing. Which is not to say that all cities are not interconnected. There is something. All of this has some consequence for the entire planet. Sure. Of course, it does. But we need to think about where and. How? I think um, one so, so of... So in a way your point is that thinking about the city without a context is yeah. almost meaningless. Yeah. 
it has roots it has its connections those connections may get severed uh, but they are they are connections sure um so one of the things that um i think will uh, become a lot more uh, accelerated now is that some cities are going to be completely disembedded from the regional frameworks in which they are located which has happened quite a lot in cities like hyderabad for example you bring your water from the rural areas you bring your milk from the rural areas you get your food vegetables everything from there but you don't have any connection with them <laughs> by simply making sure that the people who are providing all of that have no voice in the management of the city right right and that <laughs> that kind of of a um, um um disembedding of the city i think is going to become more rapid and more accelerated sounds sounds bleak it is bleak um think about the the way in which we have um um financial newspapers are often excited about the boom in construction yeah the boom in construction without changing the sand technology yeah of construction yeah. simply means that all your ponds are getting destroyed all yeah. your river beds are getting destroyed and yeah. there's a huge mafia that is emerging around them yeah. which is based in the urban yeah right those kinds of things i think are going to become much more accelerated and this will have very serious consequences for what happens in the regions themselves it lab it's bleak yeah environmental consequences yeah, yeah. it's bleak but the 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 source of optimism in all of this for me is you know it it, it is like um antonio gramsci had this slogan mm-hmm. um of um the pessimism of the intellect intellect but uh, an optimism of the spirit <laughs> right and i often want feel like you no know, i have to flip it around because my spirit is telling me that this is messed up but my intellect tells me that it's you know th- there are things that we don't understand fully right and it is important to understand those things and when we do understand and it becomes possible for people to learn we can actually do better much better yeah i mean eventually right? hopefully we all of us have a survival instinct not just for ourselves but as a species yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. terrific Thanks Thank to you. both Thank of you, you for making much. it and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.